eye. Let us move toward him. Father, thank you that it's by your strength. It's not by power. It's not by might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord, on you today, on me. So we welcome the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name, right? Amen? All right, let me... Amen. Amen. Let me... uh, In the Old Testament... Remember, I I personally believe there's only one Bible, so sometimes we divide old and new as as if they were two different works. But the nature of God is found throughout Scripture. And the principles of God that we can apply to our life is found in Genesis through Revelation. Do you agree with that? So we can't dismiss things just because they're in the Old Testament. We need to ask, why is it there? And how can I use it today? Well, oftentimes, this is exactly how an army of men would prepare themselves for battle. You know what they would do in the Old Testament? They would call for the Levites. They would call for the harpists, the psalmists, the, the musicians would come. The Levites would come before the army and say, let's now worship Yahweh, and they wouldn't say Yahweh because the name was so holy to them, they would never say it out loud. Jehovah or Yahweh was a name they would never say. But they would say, let's, let's worship I am, God. Let's worship together. And they would worship, much like we just did. It may have looked a little different, but not much. The spirit of the place would have felt much the same. And then the men would stand, often worshiping in their battle gear, ready to go to battle. And then the Levites would say, be strong and courageous for God is with you and then as a sign that they were not afraid as a sign that they were ready for battle the men dressed in their battle gear would give a great shout I want to give a great shout this morning shout come on give a big shout At that point, there's lots of stories in the Old Testament. At that point, when the shout was raised, that the enemy often would start killing themselves or run. You find it. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Read the stories yourself. They would go out into the battlefield. Now, sometimes they had to engage the enemy. They did. Sometimes they had to draw their sword. And I want you to be aware of that. God is not going to do all the fighting for us. Sometimes we have to draw our sword. But oftentimes, in the, in the Old Testament, they'd go and find the enemy slaughtered. Maybe the angel of the Lord would come and slaughter them. Or they would turn on themselves. Or they, oftentimes the Bible would say that the, the enemy army would just fall into a deep confusion, chaos, craziness would happen. So I just believe, you know, I, I, I read the scriptures and I apply it to Brady Boyd, where I am. And I just want to tell you something, that we are in a fight. But the, the, the good news is that the score's already been determined. That's, it's a good deal, isn't it? And here's the good news. Here's the good news about the fight. I'm not just trying to pump you up and get you all fired up. I'm trying to tell you the truth this morning. What I'm telling you is the truth. Let me say this to you. The score's not close either. It wasn't wasn't a close game. 
the score has already been on the scoreboard. It's got final. Fourth quarter's over. The score's up. Now, I think sometimes we need to look at the scoreboard and go, you know, that wasn't even a close fight. All we have to do is get in the game now. The score's already been determined. You ever been in a game like that? I've never been in one like that. Well, you're in it now. Exactly right. That's, that's the truth of Scripture. I can't tell you how many times I've had to draw on that truth. Or I wouldn't make it. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do the, the thing God's called me to. But if I know that truth and I believe it, I can do anything. I can charge hell with a water pistol then, right? All right, I want you to turn right now and I want you to find about five guys you've never met in your life. And I want you to introduce yourself, all right? Welcome them here this morning. recognize a group of guys. How many of you enjoyed that breakfast this morning? Yeah, good stuff. We have a, we have a team of cardiologists that will be out in the... <laughs> that'll be willing to meet with any of you right after the talk this morning, give you an exam. No, I don't want any of that. Or anyway, I just want to recognize there was a group of guys that got here at 5 a.m. this morning to cook that breakfast. That, that wasn't catered, that was cooked. I want to recognize them this morning. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Mike, where's Mike? Mike Pratt? Where's Mike? Mike Pratt led that team. And I tell you, this guy, where's Mike? Right, stand up, Mike. Where's Mike? He's probably out doing something. Mike is a servant leader in our, in, at New Life Church, and this guy just works so hard behind the scenes to get things done, and I'm so appreciative of his servant spirit. So this morning, I want to I talk to you about something that is resonating in me personally and I'm going to share some pretty personal things this morning that's going on in me, but also believe what I'm going to share this morning is a prophetic word for our future as men in the church. And I, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the purpose of an enemy. There's a purpose, the purpose of an enemy. Now, I, there's little notes there, and I handed them out. You should have a, a note with some blanks. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll have some guys bring you one. There should have been one on every seat. Hey, can I give some of the guys a hand out? There's a stack of them right back there on the soundboard. There you go, Matthew, right there. Uh, raise your hand again if you want some notes, and we'll uh, pass those to you. You can fill in the blank there with me this morning. And uh, I don't do this all the time, fill in the blank, but I do think the principles I'm going to share this morning, if you will, if you'll if not just listen to it this morning, but if you'll take it for the next several weeks like I've been doing, oftentimes when I hear something that I believe is prophetic or something that's really sunk down deep in my heart, I'll take it, and, uh, and then I'll go back to it over and over again until I catch it. Until, I, until it's a part of who I am. If I believe it's from God, if I believe God is speaking, not just through a man, not just through an, an opinion of a man, but if I believe God is really speaking to me about something deep in my heart, I'll take these principles and I'll, I'll go into my quiet time, I'll, I'll think about them, I'll, I'll commit it to, to memory and to prayer, and, and it gets into me. 
becomes a part of my fiber, my core. So the last 20 years has been, I can tell you there's hundreds of times I've sat in meetings like this and uh, someone shared something and it resonated with me. I mean, it captured me. And I don't want, you know, the scriptures say that the word of God is seed. That, that, that the word of God literally is seed that's being sown. And if we have it, we, we, it's going to fall on one of four conditions this morning. It's going to fall on the rocky, the shallow, or the, you know, the, there's four types of soil that Jesus talked about. But then he talks about that it falls on the prepared heart, the prepared soil of a man's heart. And that seed that falls on your heart today is going to multiply and grow. It's going to change you. It really will radically change your heart if your heart's prepared to receive this, all right? All right, turn in your Bible this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You notice that throughout Scripture, from the opening chapters of Scripture to the very end of Scripture, we have an enemy. Have you noticed that? That there's very little Scripture written without, uh, without the context of there being an enemy in our lives. Jesus often talked about the enemy of our souls, the enemy that wished to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus was very, very clear that we had an enemy and that he, had a good, he's, that he was a strategic enemy, that he was, he was, he was crafty, that he was wily, that he, that he, had, uh, he was, uh, had the ability to manipulate and deceive us if that were possible. So Jesus talked about this enemy, this opposition that we have as believers. And throughout, from the opening few chapters of Genesis, the enemy is introduced to us in the Garden of Eden, in a perfect utopian environment in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there, and an enemy approaches them. The serpent, masquerading as Satan himself, came to them to deceive them, to cause them to, to choose something that was going to be for their harm. So throughout Scripture, we have an enemy, an opposition. We have things that are opposing us. Oftentimes, we come into this walk as Christians, and we want the Disney experience. We want, we want everything to be nice and packaged and sterile and safe, and sometimes it is. Sometimes life is like that. There's times in life where it feels warm and fuzzy and nice, but most of the time, I want to tell you that life as a follower of Christ involves opposition and an enemy. And in this story in 1 Samuel 17, it's a story, if you've been in church, you've heard this story since Sunday school, the story of David and Goliath. Even if you don't, haven't been in church, you could probably tell the story of David and Goliath. The young shepherd boy with five smooth stones who walks out and kills a big giant. There's more to this story that I'm going to show you this morning that maybe you've never seen before. This story is a foreshadowing, a type and shadow of our future. Throughout Scripture, and I want to, again, I want to go back and point out to you, I believe we, many times as charismatics, especially charismatics, we've lost the reverence of the Old Testament. We, we're New Covenant believers, and, yet, and we are, and I'm grateful for the New Covenant. I'm grateful that I don't have to live up to the law because I, I know I, I couldn't do that. I would fail miserably at trying to live up to the law. But, so I'm grateful for the New Covenant. I'm grateful for grace, but I believe we've lost some of the lessons, some things that God wants to say to us in the Old Testament. And I want to share this story this morning. So the context of this story is this. David, is, David was sent to the front lines of a battle to really take some food, some bread, some cheese, some wine or whatever to his brothers who were older, were more experienced soldiers. David was the youngest. And the dad says, Jesse, David's dad says, David, take your brothers some food. Take them some food. And so he goes to the, uh, the, the battle line and this is what he encounters. He, he sees a, a group of men followers of God shrinking back. He, he, he almost, have you ever been around a group of people who are fearful? It literally is. You can almost smell it. You can sure feel it when people are afraid, when people are timid, when people are, are hesitant. When you get around people like that, it just, it's really, it, it'll, it can, it can all, literally impact the way you follow God. And so David comes upon the the army of Israel on one side of the mountain, the, the Philistine army on the other side, and every day this big giant of a man would come down in between the two armies and challenge the army of Israel to send out a man 
and, and, and to, to fight him. And the winner take all. It's kind of a winner take all battle. You bring your best soldier down, we'll bring our best down. Those two will fight. Whoever wins, that's who wins the fight. 1 Samuel 17, verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Now underline that in your Bible. It's really super important, all right? Choose a man. Notice the words that Goliath carefully uses here. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Now he says it twice here, okay? This is interesting that he says this. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Notice their reaction. Scared. Shrink back. Afraid. And, and so I believe in this story, there was something happening. I believe in a story that, that we can, if we found ourselves in that fight that day, something would be revealed about us. If we found ourselves, and I know there's guys here that are in the military. I know a young man here that I saw him there this morning, Garrett, who's been in battle, has been awarded the Bronze Star sitting out here this morning. There's others, there's retired colonels, there's retired military, there's active duty military. Some of you have been in those fights. We're proud of that, we're grateful for that. I'm not, I'm not a military man. I, was, I didn't grow up in a military family. I didn't join the military. Uh, but I, but I, I, I'm fascinated by the, 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 the process of preparing someone for battle. And you guys know this that have gone through basic training. Basic training does not reveal who real soldiers are. Basic training is necessary. Basic training is a place where you learn life-saving skills. You learn tactics. You learn... You learn, you get your body physically, mentally in shape and ready, uh, prepared for battle. But bat soldiers are revealed on the battlefield. See, I believe this is what church is like most of the time. Church is just one long basic training session. I, I, I'm just tired of going through basic training. We need, I, I want to say at some point, go, go face the enemy. Let's go find out if we've learned anything. You know, most of the time in church, we talk about, here, here's the strategy of church. Ready, ready. Ready, ready, ready. Are you ready yet? Ready. Go fire. Fire the thing. You know, it's when the live ammunition is flying by your head, when bombs are exploding around you, when it's all chaos, that's when you find out the medal of a man, the medal of a soldier. And I believe that, that that's the, the, what the walk with God should be like. So I'm going to give you really quickly eight purposes of an enemy. There's eight things that when an enemy confronts us. Now, I'm not talking about human beings necessarily. I want you to know that. Although human beings can be used by God to oppose us, I'm talking about, we just told we're in a fight not physical. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and authorities. So we're talking about spiritual forces here that can manifest through human beings. We know that. But we want to know who our real enemy is. And when faced with the real enemy in your life, here are the eight things that is revealed, the eight purposes of an enemy. Number one, it reveals the strength of your commitment. A lot of men talk about being followers of Christ until an enemy appears. There's shrinking back. There's timidity. There's, there's this, I'm not calling them cowards necessarily. I'm just calling them 
that they, they, they realize that they're not willing to die for anything. They're willing to live for a lot of things, but they're not willing to die for anything. Here's a good question for you. I know there's a lot of things we're living for. We're living for our families. We're living for the church. We're living for the God. But what are we willing to die for? That's what, that's what reveals our commitment. What are we willing to lay down? It reveals the strength of your commitment. Number two, it, it reveals the truth of your character. You can talk all you want, but character is revealed in the fight. This is when you find out who your buds are. This is when you find out who you can really lean on. This is when you find out the metal of a person, the character of a person. When they can make a choice to do something else, but they choose to do the right thing. My dad used to tell me, do the right thing for the right reason, even at your own hurt. Now, all, all, all of us say, we, I want to do the right thing, and I want to do it for the right reason, but most men shrink back when doing the right thing hurts. You know, doing the right thing sometimes is painful. Sometimes doing the right thing costs you something. That's when you find out the truth of your character, is when you, when you have to make a decision to do something knowing that it's going to cost you. Either it's going to cost you your reputation, and I'm talking about, obviously, long term, your reputation is going to be built by doing those things, but in the short term, people may misunderstand your decision. They may question your integrity when you know in your heart you're doing the right thing for the right reason. Number three, and this is what I believe, it gives an opportunity to see the power of God. Oftentimes, we live in very sterile, stale environments until there's an enemy. This is when you see the greatest amount of power on display in the book of Acts, when Simon the sorcerer shows up. Philip went down to Samaria, and he preached him miracles and signs and wonders. The whole time, he was being opposed by Simon the sorcerer. When the enemy appears, this is, this is God's opportunity to demonstrate power in us. Number four, I believe in the purpose of the enemy, it brings unity for those of like spirit. It tends to weld our hearts together. Men that have been in foxholes together normally are friends for life, or the bond that happens in fight. Foxhole friends are the best friends of all, right? It brings, there's a unity that happens. There's a knitting of our hearts that happens. When, you know, we've had tragedy on our own campus two and a half years ago, and I, there was something that happened with me and you, you and me, and many of us, that would not have happened unless we had a tragedy where we... We bonded together. There was a, a knitting of our hearts. We were in a fight together. It brings unity. It also reveals disunity. But it, it reveals commitment to one another. Number five, an enemy causes believers to get serious. We get serious suddenly when a real enemy appears. When an opposition appears, the day of being casual about our Christianity is over. In fact, I believe the days of casual Christianity are coming to an end. And I'm grateful for that. I'm not casual about my belief. This is who I am. I'm, I'm in it forever and always. The same as I'm married to Pam, as I'm married to God forever and always. I'm in this thing together with you. And it, and it causes us to get serious about it. To not treat it so flippantly. Like God is a, a part of my, in some box somewhere. This is my religion thing. And I, and I go over here to my religion place every once in a while. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle of being serious about God. Not, not an absence of fun. Because I think it's also very fun to follow God for sure. But I'm talking about just serious moments where we decide we're in this together. 
serious business. I think it's, you know, there's, there's probably a moment in all of our lives where we realize it is a life and death issue, isn't it? And if you've never had that moment as a follower of Christ where you don't really know that it's life and death that we're fighting for here, once you realize we're in this for life and death, the, the lives of people are at stake. The, the, the eternal condition of people's souls are at stake. When you realize the seriousness of our, of our calling, this is when God does something miraculous among us. Number six, the purpose of an enemy, it reveals the value of things taken for granted. You know, two and a half years ago, we could give balloons away in the hallways and nobody, one would pop and nobody would care. Now we don't hand out balloons anymore. Simple things like that, that we, our innocence was lost. People ask me, I still get calls from time to time from pastors and media that want to know, hey, what's it like at New Life now? And I say, well, it's great, but we've lost our innocence. We, the, we, we have to be a little more sober in our decision making. We have to be a little more prudent in the way we do things. We, we took for granted that at church, nobody would hurt us on our church, right? This is church. But that's not true. And so it makes you, take, reveals the value of things taken for granted. Number seven, an enemy reveals leaders. Oftentimes in a fight, in this, in this particular story, when David showed up with bread and cheese for his brothers, nobody would have said, hey, everybody bow down, here comes our future king, our warrior. But this particular fight, when Goliath stood and taunted the children of Israel, a leader was revealed in an unusual source. In fact, many theologians believe that David was birthed from Jesse and a prostitute. That the same mom was not the same mom for David's brothers, there's, there's proof and uh, there's actual proof that in Scripture, there's some evidence in Scripture that David may have been born from a one-night stand from his dad and a prostitute. And that's why he was treated so not only was he the youngest, but he was, his mom was probably of ill repute. And that's why he was treated the way he was by his brothers, and that's why he was scorned so much by the people around him. Of all the candidates of being leader king, David was not probably considered a candidate to be king leader, warrior, fighter in the battle. But see, an enemy reveals who we are. An enemy gives leaders a chance to step up and lead. Step up and go out front and do it. Number eight, an enemy causes Christians to walk more cautiously. We don't make decisions as flippantly as we normally did. We are prayerful about the choices we make, knowing that there are real consequences for making bad choices. And there are blessings for making the right ones. It makes us be cautious, not fearful, wise and cautious, prudent, gentle as doves, wise as serpents. So this morning, I want to talk to you about, those are the purposes of an enemy, but I want to talk to you today about two rules for war. There's two rules in Scripture for war. Now, let me just say up front, it's not optional to, to be in the battle or not. <laughs> you know, it's, it, we have a volunteer army, a volunteer air force, a volunteer navy, volunteer marines in America. Only once or twice in our history have we had to call on a draft. Let me just say it's different in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, when you say yes to Jesus, and we need to, we need to do a better job of explaining this to people. While I do believe you're sentenced to heaven and you can't get out of it, I do also believe you're signing up for a fight. 
And we need to know that this morning. That's why I'm bringing this to our attention this morning. There's two rules for this fight that we're in. Again, it's not optional. It's not that, hey, let's send four or five pastors or four or five mature people out front. Let them do the fighting for us. Let us come back here and enjoy the spoils of war. No, we're all in the fight. And we're all targets of the enemy. We're all, but we've all been equipped with the same fight, the same spirit, the same weapons of our warfare. And so what are the two rules for battle? Here's number one, and this is probably the most important one. Refuse to be intimidated. Satan's greatest weapon is a bluff. The roar of the lion. I'll tell you the day of the shooting, I, I, I realized, and I've been, I'm writing a book right now, and this is all, and I waited purposely for a while after the, this, because I really, God didn't give me a green light to write, and I didn't know why until now. Because I want to look back and say, what, what is it that happened in our church? What happened in our fellowship that day? What happened in the weeks afterwards? Why, why are we even here today? This thing should be a used car lot. There's no church in America that, that and I had prominent leaders, I mean leaders of thousands of churches tell me they don't know of a single church that has uh, at any time gone through one, much less two ish situations like this in 13 months and survived. Not just survived, but we're thriving. How'd that happen? How did that happen? You see, I, and, I, and I don't have any, I don't have all the answers to that and I don't take any of the credit for it because I don't know I have I'm clueless like you are I'm just saying Lord what are some principles what, are, what is it that I'm supposed to be figuring out here and, and then and then I realized I, something happened in me the day of the shooting the day of the shooting was I was in, the, in my office my assistant came through the door terrified look on her face Brady there's a shooter on the campus I heard the gunfire underneath me underneath the hallway and for a moment the first moment of terror that I really felt was the, the, the terrified feeling of realizing that my wife and kids were down there. Because Pam's normally one of the last ones to leave the building with my kids in, her, in tow. You know, they're 9 and 11. That's where they go to church down there. And so once I got her on the phone and I realized she was off the campus and safe, something snapped in my heart. That was the only time in that moment that I felt terrified. The feeling that I got when I hung up from Pam was almost completely opposite. I got mad. I, I grew up in, 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 in a little small, for three or four years, we lived in East Texas, and I went to a little uh, country school, really, literally, it was out in the middle of nowhere, the end of the world was three miles away. It was, that, it was a really redneck East Texas school. This was back in the uh, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, that, that, that time frame. And I, I remember in that time frame that this school, now listen to this, if this happened today, I'd own that school. You know, where today, you know, they, there's very low tolerance for bullying and, and hazing. You can actually go to jail for that now. Well, back then it was actually encouraged by teachers. I'll tell you what we did. Every year the freshmen, were, freshman boys were paraded on a stage like this. The sophomore, junior, and senior boys sat out in the high school auditorium and bid on us like slaves. It was a school fundraiser. I, I'm not exaggerating just to get it. I, I'm, I'm actually toning it down a bit. So they, I would walk across the stage and stand there, and the seven or eight boys that hated me the most would get into a bidding war to have me as a slave for a week. I, I, I brought a pretty good price proud to say 
I'll never forget the kid who, who bought me. And so for that, follow, that, that happened on a Friday. Monday through the next Friday of the next week, you basically did whatever they told you to do. They stuck our heads in toilets. They dressed us up like girls. They made us kiss people, do crazy. I mean, if they beat us up. It was, a, it was a week of torture, and it was a school fundraiser. The teachers turned their head. They didn't care. I'd own that school today, wouldn't we, huh? Of all the stuff that I don't like about political correctness, I'm kind of glad they straightened that out. So I grew up being bullied. I was a little guy, about 120 pounds as a freshman. And I told you the story of the time when they tied a rope around my neck and drug me up a hill, almost killed me, had rope burns around my neck. It looked like Clint Eastwood and hang them high, honestly, right there. Had that rope burn mark right there. They could have broke my neck or killed me or whatever. But, you know, I told you that story. Let me tell you another story. This is, what I'm going to tell you today is bad parenting. I just want to say that up front. But my dad, I, I, don't ever, I was driving here this morning, and I was trying to remember. I don't ever remember my dad being afraid of anybody. And I remember coming home one day, and there was a kid that uh, just tormented me all the time. He was, he was like, uh, I don't know, probably 200 pounds. He was that kid in seventh grade that had children already. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Y'all remember that guy? You go in the shower, and he's already a grown man, and you're in seventh grade. Well, this, is, this is the kind of guy he was, but he was a bully. And he would walk up to me, and he, he, every day at the same time at recess, he'd walk up to me, get real close to my face, and said, Brady, I'm going to whip your ass. I'm sorry to say that in church, but I just wanted to get you, this is what he said. <laughs> he'd say that out loud to me, intimidate me. And I, I just, I was afraid of him. But I didn't want to be afraid of him. I, I knew that was wrong to be intimidated by this guy. So my, I went home and I finally told my dad, I said, Dad, I don't know, I, and the teachers were no help. It was a fundraiser. <laughs> I mean, it was, honestly, I know the right thing to do today was say, hey, tell your son to go tell the school, the principal, the teacher, or the coach or something, and, and they would be an advocate for you. Right? Stop that, right? That would, that, that, I had no help. I, I felt powerless at the school because the teachers, they weren't out on the, on the playground with us. They didn't care. It was, it was seriously that kind of school. You're, all, you're on your own. But I knew my dad had, I would, could help me. Because he'd helped me before. I said, Dad, I just don't, I'm tired of this guy. His name was Shane. God bless Shane. I hope he's doing well and serving the kingdom today. But, you know, he wasn't then. I know I'm not supposed to judge people's hearts, but he was not following Jesus then. <laughs> Guaranteed. And um, so Dad said, this is bad parenting. Let me say, Mom, if there's some young boys here, I want you to know this is bad parenting. Your dad should not tell you to do this. But this is what happened for me. Dad went and he, he put this, I'll never forget, on our... On our uh, clothesline, he, he, he filled up a bag with sand and hung it down from the clothesline at about the same height as Shane's face, right above me. Shane was about like this, I was about right here. And, and Dad drew a nose and a mouth on it. And he said, Brady, here's what I want you to do tomorrow. When Shane, I, I, it was predictable, every day he came up to me and intimidated me. He said, Brady, tomorrow, before he gets the A out of his mouth, he said, I want you to hit him right, right there, he put him right there. Right at the end of the nose, top of the lip, right there. Now I want you to practice. And so that afternoon, I remember the afternoon like it was yesterday. Pow! Pow! He said, no, Brady, you got to get back from here. It's our back. Pow! And I remember just wearing my hand out that day. Dad said, I'll never forget it, that morning. Now, Brady, don't let him intimidate you. If he says it, before he gets the A out of his mouth, hit him as hard as you can. Well, I said, Dad, what if I get in trouble? He said, I'll come help you out. You're not going to get in trouble. I should have stopped that. 
So that day, right on target, shame came and said, Brady, I'm going to whip your eye. And as soon as that he, the A came out of his mouth, I hit him as hard as I've ever hit anybody in my life. He fell to the ground, blood coming out of his nose. It was like, it was like a movie, honestly. I, I, grew, I see that in movies, I go, man, I live that. <laughs> he, fell to his gra- he fell to his knees, crying, blood coming out of his nose. <laughs> Never bothered me again. Never again. Now, <laughs> now listen, I, I know I'm telling you all my victory stories. I got this stew beat out of me. I was a fighter. I, was, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. So I'm not telling you any of the stories where I got the plug beat out of me. I'm telling you all my win stories today. <laughs> but the point is, something happened to me that day because my dad told me, he said, Brady, and I'll never forget this, don't let him intimidate you. And literally from that time on in my life, I had a really low tolerance for being bullied. And I still do. I, if, if a man tries to intimidate me right now, I don't care the size of him. I, 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 <laughs> Jeff Drydis, I saw him here earlier this morning. He was in the office when this happened. There was a guy at, at a church where I once pastored he was 6'8", about 350. And he, he was on a professional, or one of those traveling softball teams. And he could hit a home run anytime he wanted. He was a massive man, but he was a bully to his wife and kids. And one day, his daughter came to me crying because she was listening to a song in her room that he didn't like. And he burst through her door with his softball bat and destroyed her stereo in front of her and terrified her. And I called him in to the office, and I said... And this was like four or five stories I'd heard from his wife and kids about him being a bully. And I called him in, and I said, I said to him, I said, What's, what, what causes you to be so angry? What's wrong with you? There's a way to discipline your daughter without terrifying her and, and harming her like that. You're harming her emotionally. You're scaring her. You're, you're being a bully. And, I, and he argued back and forth with me, and I said, Look, I'm glad you're not God. Because that's not the way God treats me. And men... He stood up. He said, if you weren't a pastor, I'd whip your butt. I said, well, don't let a title stand in your way. (laughs) That was stupid. That was stupid. I'm serious. I should not have said that. Honestly, this guy could kill me. If he likes me, he kills me quick. If he doesn't like me, he kills me slow. He's that kind of guy. But the point is, here's the point I'm making to you this morning. I'm not going to be intimidated. What is, what's causing you to be afraid? What, what does the enemy have to do to get you on the back of your heels? I just have, I made up my mind, if I'm going to be a man, I'm going to lead, if I'm going to be a husband and a father and a pastor, I'm not going to be intimidated by anything. I may make other mistakes, but I'm not going to make mistakes out of fear. I'm not going to shrink back. And I'm, I, I'm not trying to make myself be super courageous because there are days where I wrestle with fear like everyone else. There are days when I could be intimidated. I just have made up my mind that I don't have to be. The greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Is that true or not? I think it's true. So the first rule for battle is don't be intimidated. Refuse to be intimidated. Number two, run to the battle. See, what proved to be true on that playground proves to be true in the spiritual. The, the aggressor always has the advantage. Right? Come on, military guys, isn't that right? The, the aggressor always has the advantage. 
And I'm asking you, are you, how aggressive are you? Do you fight? You fight for your marriage? Or you just react to your wife? Do you fight for your kids? Or you just react? Just kind of take it as it comes. Do you fight for your church, for the city you live in? Or do we just sit around and complain a lot? I just, I'm, I'm calling out men today to pray more than you complain. To pray for your president more than you complain about him. I'm just, I just think something might happen in the spiritual realm if we prayed as much as we complained. Come on. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a concerned about things as you are. There are things about Republicans and Democrats that concern me. I think the whole mess of them need a, a visitation of Jesus. But I've just decided I'm going to pray more than I complain. I'm going to worship more than I listen to Rush. Come on. Run to the battle. Let me read this to you. 1 Samuel 17. So David said to the Philistine, David, you know, by this point, David has, has said, I'll go do it. You're just a boy, and he's been fighting since he was a boy. You're just a boy. You ever heard the enemy say that to you? You can't do it. You're just a boy. Listen to this. David said to the Philistine, this is, to me, this is the best trash talking in all the Bible here. I love this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day. Now, these men have a heart for community, to bring us together in community. And I, 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 I just, let's just say thanks to these men for leading with us. And say thank you for the groups that they lead, what they do in ministry. So I want you, if you're, not, if you're not in a small group of any kind, maybe you, maybe you and your wife need to go to a couples group, but I want you to be in groups. I want you to live connected with one another, okay? All right, let's pray one more time together, then go, go grab uh, something to drink, go to us and do a breakout. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for courage and strength, anointing to do what you've called us to do. I bless the men today, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Be prayer, come forward. If not, find a group. That's right.